All right, hello and welcome to Back in the Net Soccer Podcast. We've got Chad Metzler, our Chief Operating Officer. This is the second time he's been on the podcast. We're going to do another PSA or membership service announcement. So we are getting into the nuts and bolts. Today is Wednesday, May 20th, and later today you should get an email from the club with our return to play plan overview. So we've spoken with Chad about this previously. We've kind of hinted at it, sort of what the return to play is going to look like when we get started. But now you guys are going to be getting the actual document, a multiple page document that explains the different pieces uh, of our return to play plan, how it looks, the different stages, uh, what the protocols are going to be, some things that parents are going to need to be doing, some things that players are going to need to be doing, and then a lot of stuff that the staff is going to be doing to make sure that we are taking care of this in a responsible manner and making sure everybody understands what the plan is. So. Chad, thanks for being on. Um, feel free to kind of introduce this, and then we'll kind of jump in page by page. Yeah, thanks, Barry. Um, it's good to be back. Um, as as you mentioned, we are now rolling out our return to play plan. I know everybody's been anxious to to be on the field. Um, it's been it's been tough not being out there for players and coaches alike, and um, we've worked for several weeks by trying to contact everything from state and national and local government agencies to the governing soccer bodies, whether it be USYS, NCYSA, SCYSA, US club, whatever. Um, also working with, with numerous, um, healthcare providers, especially our, our healthcare provider, um, partner, Novant health. Um, we've even had some people reaching out internationally to some FIFA connections and we've tried to bring all the information we can together to put this plan, um, in front of everyone. And our number one goal when, in building it is to create a safe and healthy environment for players to, to, to come back and, and play the game of soccer. Um, obviously it's been a unique and unknown time for everyone. I think not just in, in our community, but around the world. And as, as we're trying to, to work our way through, we want to get back to the normal routine of our lives. Um, a big part of that being sport, but we want to do it in a, in a responsible and healthy way. So we've created this staged plan where we can kind of ease our way back into the water um, and hopefully all along be responsible and prudent towards our families so that everybody has a good measure of security in what we're doing. Excellent. Um, I just, I, I, I think this is the best way to do it is kind of go through this, like I said, page by page. But I know that you've been fielding a lot of questions from staff, from coaches, as we've trained staff and the coaches, um, as well as sort of the committee that you've put together to sort of fill this out. So either at the end or even during this as we're going over it, if there's a common question related to a particular section, feel free to just jump in or interrupt me and say, hey, you know, one of the questions that we typically get on this is this, and then kind of explain the answer to those questions. So it doesn't have to be exactly page by page. I just want to make sure that we get the common questions at some point during this talk. So the yeah. first thing that I want to highlight, and he's looking at our screen here, we're looking at uh, one of the versions here of the return to play overview. Uh, the first thing that jumps out for me is that anyone that's not ready to return to the fields, they can wait. and There will not be any repercussions or penalties from the club. So I think that's a, an important piece for people to understand that if they're not comfortable and they're not ready, there's not going to be a negative consequences from the club to the players. We're, we want people know that we're doing this responsibly but at the same time we also want the members to know uh, and feel comfortable with what we're putting forward yeah um 100 
So, you know, as I mentioned, this is this is a unique and unknown situation for everybody. I know there's there's a thousand different opinions on on the situation, um, and everybody has their own unique experience. And and you know, uh, family members that maybe are more susceptible to disease, and um, you know, just just a different a wide variety of different outlooks. You know, hopefully, when everybody gets a chance to read through this plan and they see. The, the numerous steps we put into place to try and um, limit exposure, create sanitary environments, uh, create reporting protocols, all that, it'll give a good bit of confidence to everyone. But at the same time, not everyone's gonna be ready to come back to the field. You know, I think the reaction is gonna be everywhere from people saying, you know, it's about time why we waited so long to saying, I'm not ready to do this yet and, and everything in between. And um, you know, 100% we're respectful for that. This is this is 100% designed for players to start getting back on the field and and start playing soccer. Nobody should do that um, until they're comfortable in doing that, right? It's it's something that for a lot of our families is a big part of their life, but at the same time, it's a game, it's a recreation, um, it's something that's meant to create enjoyment, not stress in families' lives. Um, so when families are ready to, to, to join us, we're here for you. And so moving from that piece, um, sort of the, the big 50,000 feet down is what does it look like and when do we get started? So we've got four stages. Stage one is actually going on right now um, and it'll continue through May 31st. So the target date to begin stage two is going to be June 1st. Stage one, just real quickly, is essentially we're not having training. We're not having soccers. We're suspended from play. So what we've been going through since the beginning, middle of March, I don't remember the exact date, but what we've been going through since March is currently no soccer, and that is stage one. Beginning June 1st, we are going to have stage two. We are going to be training in limited conditions. Social distancing practices will be employed. Trainings are going to be 60 minutes and two sessions a week. Uh, and then the target date, these are target dates, and I'll let you speak to that after I kind of overview these three stages. The stage three target date should start on June 15th. So two weeks of limited training, limited training conditions. And then June 15th, we're gonna operate under social distancing conditions still. However, we are going to allow contact in game situations, uh, as well as the training will be allowed in some cases to expand to 75 minutes and competitive matches we play. That's sort of the big difference as I see it, Chad, between stage two and stage three. Uh, basically, we're allowed to play soccer with opposition whereas in stage two it's more of the individual player development with a little bit more restrictions being being put into place yeah um that 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 is the main difference and we're hoping stage two lasts only two weeks um it's a it's a very controlled environment in terms of time that that players are on the field and um the distancing i mean there, there should be no close contact with any players um we're going to use this period not only to kind of get our feet wet, but also to help train players and staff and create new habits. And hopefully once we have these habits in place, we can kind of loosen things up a little bit and and move into a phase that resembles what we're used to a little bit more, right? There's still going to be restrictions around it, but um, in game situations, whether that's in training or we'll begin matches after June 15th as well, um, you know, we're going to get back to actually playing soccer and and play soccer you need to have some situations where there's contact and close proximity but around that 
we're going to limit the amount of exposure players have in terms of the number of players they're in contact with or close proximity with and the amount of time they're in close proximity with, with players. And we're also going to kind of control the environment around that. Yeah, great. And we've got a bunch of specifics that I know that we'll get to in terms of players and field space and, and benches and bags and distance and the different sanitary measures for coaches and players. Uh, and then just real quick, the stage four, you know, the, again, the target date for this is sort of the new normal for soccer. And we're hoping that that's going to be August 1st. And that rolls us in to our fall seasons for the 2020, 2021 seasons. Um, it's going to be like pre-COVID conditions, but there will be general health guidelines being applied. Um, do you have anything to add to that stage four? I know it's a bit away and we've got more information to come before we get there. Yeah, I guess the two things I'd say is we're shooting for August 1st because to me that's really the start of the fall season and we'd like to be on schedule if possible. It'll all depend on, on um, you know, what the conditions are in the state and in the, in the region. Uh, so that's why it's a target. The further out we go, the, 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 the looser it gets. And then the other thing I'd add is um, once we're in stage four, that's indefinite. Um, you know, it's like you said, it's kind of back to pre-COVID conditions with health guidelines. And, and those health guidelines are probably going to stay for as long as we can see unless we get new information coming from the CDC or from other areas saying, you know, we've, we've developed a vaccine or, or the, the, the virus has essentially been eradicated or something. So this could, stage four could be 18, 24 months potentially. Yeah, and I think that brings us into sort of what the health measures that are being undertaken by the club. And just as a quick aside, you know, these, these health measures are for the individuals as well as our membership as a whole. You know, like you had alluded to earlier, each family situation, each membership situation is different. So these are in place to protect the individuals, but also to protect the entire larger membership of the club. You know, the staff's families, the players' families, uh, all the people that are interacting with the different membership during uh, or all the people that interact with the membership outside of maybe the soccer field as well. It's sort of a whole encompassing piece here. Uh, I think that's important. Sometimes we forget that the measures are not just for the individual, but also for everybody that comes into contact. So just jumping in real quick, uh, the social distancing practices uh, for players and parents, you know, the parent piece is slightly different from the player piece. And we'll get into that in a second. Uh, you must sign a form acknowledging that you've read the document here and that you understand the contents. Um, player contact will be limited. We touched upon that. The first stage two, there's there's going to be very minimal, if any, contact. Uh, stage three, we get into the soccer. Uh, more soccer-specific contact will be allowed if we're into stage three or when we get into stage three. The screening and sanitation measures we put in place to include digital pre-session questionnaires, temperature checks, mask worn by the coaches. Players are encouraged to wear the mask before and after training as well as greater spacing of team location and training times. So there's a couple pieces there, Chad, I'd like you to jump in on. Yeah, um, we're kind of we're kind of utilizing a mixture of, of high tech and low tech measures. Um, so we have a we have a pre pre session questionnaire um, for 13 and, and older players. Uh, everyone will have access to the Soccer Pulse app um, that the club is providing at no cost to our players. And basically, you can check off the same healthcare question, same health questions that healthcare providers check off before they're allowed to enter the hospital, um, and it'll show up on your coach's phone that everybody's checked it off. Um, we'll have infrared digital thermometers at the field, and we'll be making sure no one has a fever before they're entering the field. That includes 
coaches, that includes spectators, anyone who's going to be down on the field area. Um, and then at the same time, we have some low tech me measures, right? All the coaches will be wearing masks. Um, one thing that we'd like to point out is we are discouraging players to wear masks while they're training. Um, we, we, we would like to encourage players to wear masks before training and, and as they leave, because honestly it's the changeover walk into the parking lot and stuff where there's more proximity with players. But, um, talking to a number of healthcare providers, the, the, the pros and cons of wearing a mask and, and the concerns with reduced airflow and hyperventilation and that sort of thing, um, kind of outweighs the benefits. So, so we are, discouraging our players from wearing masks we're not going to say they can't but if if they do um, they need to be monitored as they train um, you know as you mentioned spacing um, even once we we get into game like play and and we allow contact within the field of play the sidelines should still be spaced player bags will be minimum six feet apart from each other um, we won't be doing team huddles and that sort of thing um, and then I think a really important piece that you touched on, Barry, going all the way to the to the beginning of your your, your segment here, um, we are asking every family to sign a form. And when I say sign, it's really an electronic signature acknowledging that they've read the document and they agree to it. And um, that is really for the peace of mind of everyone else, knowing that your your child is out there and everybody else who sent their child out has agreed to the same standards is is really a community building thing. And we're going to do that through the TeamSnap app. So it's as simple as going on to every player already has a TeamSnap account. And just like you would, you know, accept or say that you're available for a game, you would you would click that you've acknowledged and accept, um, you know, the the guidelines that are in this, this protocol. Um, last one of the things we're doing that's that's pretty different is we will be providing a training vest for every player. Um, we're having 5,000 training vests uh, customized with independence logos on them now and every player will have their own. So rather than reaching into the coach's bag of pennies that were thrown in there the day before by, by sweaty players, everybody will have their own, be responsible for their own, um, keep it in their bag, wash it at home. And we won't be sharing any kind of equipment or anything like that in trainings or games. Yeah, and they'll, they'll talk about this in the document as well. Um, we are encouraging slash requiring players to bring their own ball to training. Um, essentially, equipment might be something that you might not think of as being a big deal, but that is where all the transmission of the, the, the germs and the viruses are, are being spread. So that part's going to be a little different. Coaches are the only ones that are allowed to touch the equipment essentially with their hands. We're going to tell players that they, they shouldn't be picking up the balls with their hands. Essentially, once we're in training, the balls stay at the feet. Um, obviously the club, as you mentioned, will be providing the training vest. Each player, uh, and each coach needs to have their hand sanitizer and basically no sharing of equipment in any sort of capacity. And then the last piece here on the health measures, uh, I'm just going to read this one flat out. Policies around reporting and communication of any COVID-19 exposure will be put into place in accordance with HIPAA laws. All right. And then sort of we get the breakdown, the visual breakdown here of the different stages. So stage one, as we talked about earlier, that is currently what we are in and will run through May 31st. And that is no soccer. It's uh, sort of everybody is suspended from play currently. Stage two, target date of June 1st through June 14th. We mentioned the 60 minute sessions twice a week. There's going to be a gap in between sessions. So there's less mingling of players in the parking lot outside of the field as teams transition from the first practice, second practice, third practice. 
Um, teams train with social distancing standards. We mentioned this as well. There will be no contact during these first two weeks. This is going to be a little bit repetitive, but it's repetitive for a reason. We want to make sure that this is uh, noted uh, and seen and, and seen in different ways as well. This is something we haven't mentioned yet. There will be no goalkeeping specific activities. Why don't you jump in here real quick, Chad, because this was a, a point you brought up during the training that I thought made a lot of sense about sort of isolating groups into one standard group during this process. Um, did you want me to talk about the goalkeeping piece? Or the yeah, the idea that, you know, we're not going to have goalkeepers train with a goalkeeping group and then train right. with their team environment. Okay, okay. Um, so this is for stage two. We're not going to be doing goalkeeper-specific activities for a number of reasons, right? Obviously, the um, nature of most goalkeeping activities involves handling the ball, and we're going to completely discourage any player from handling the ball. Obviously, a, a foot with a shoe and a sock, you know, between the ball and, and, and skin has a, has a natural barrier. Um, once we get into the to arms and hands area, um, that becomes a little bit more susceptible, even though goalkeepers have gloves. Um, and just the nature of the activities, you know, we want to keep players in player groups so that we limit the amount of activity that they have kind of crossing over in groups. Um, we do encourage goalkeepers to attend training. Um, it's a great time for keepers to, to, to work on technical skills on their feet, um, to, to, to work on their fitness, to go through all the activities that field players go, go into. And, and once we get into stage three, which again, hopefully is two weeks into this plan, um, we'll start to introduce modified goalkeeping activities. Um, so we will start to bring it back slowly. Again, it's just about building up good habits as we, as we go, instead of just jumping it two feet into the pool. Yeah, and the other thing that, that we brought up or you had brought up during the training with the staff was, you know, we're not mixing teams, you know. So in the past, you know, you might have a younger brother that plays with the older brother's team and then goes and trains with his younger team on Thursdays or something like that. Or in this case, the goalkeepers might go train with the goalkeepers and then fill back in to their team. We are isolating the teams that they are training with during stage two. You are training with that team and that team only. Um. Just one more piece on the stage two thing, and I don't know if this is clear from what we had talked about earlier, but the six to feet, six to ten feet distance at all times, um, the ten people per quarter of a field, or twenty people, and that includes the coaching staff on on a full field. I know there's some specific distances that that are maintained during this, and you know if we weren't clear earlier during this stage two, which is our return to play start. Um, we're not going to be doing soccer with opposition. So a lot of this work is going to be individual work on the ball. Did you want to mention anything about how we got to the 10 people per quarter field, Chad? Yeah. Um, so some simple math went into it, right? I know uh, it's, it's pretty wide known that there's a, a 10 people per gathering limit anyways. Um, I think where that gets a little vague is in, in what space, right? Obviously on the, on the soccer field, we have a much larger space than what you would consider a gathering. Um, so trying to keep uh, players in quadrants of the field in groups of 10, um, you know, the, the standard for a uh, number of people in, in retail space comes out to be something around uh, one player for, or one person for every hundred square feet. And uh, 10 players on a quarter field comes out roughly around one person for every 200 square feet. So it's, it's even more space than what's allowed in an enclosed space, like a, like a grocery store or a drugstore or whatnot. Um, so we're trying to imply, in, incorporate these measures so that there's a lot of opportunity for us to keep our players distanced 
and uh, comply with, with all the regulations that are being set forth. Right. And then that moves us into stage three. Um, we talked about these earlier as well. We, we have the ability to go 60 to 75 minutes, train, play three times a week. Uh, start date, target dates for these are June 15th through July 31st. Uh, this is the ability to start having contact in game situations, six to 10 feet distance when possible. Obviously in game situations, the distance because the opposition is going to be less than that at times. That's sort of the big difference from the soccer piece. Um, we're still going to be taking temperatures. We still have the idea or the distance rule of 10 people max for quarter field or 20 people, including the coach for the half field. Um, but this is sort of that transition from individual soccer getting back towards team soccer. Anything you want to highlight here on stage three? No, I think you said it well. I mean, it is just kind of kind of progressing things slowly towards what we would consider to be more normal. So it's it's just a staged uh, effect to, to to allow us to to be able to monitor um, monitor our own progress and monitor the conditions around us. All right. Now we're getting into the player training guidelines, which includes the coach includes the coach's responsibilities, the parents' responsibilities, as well as the player responsibilities. So, coaches' responsibilities first. Um, players is our responsibility of coaches to ensure that players are not handling the training equipment. Um, player activities will be arranged to maintain social distancing as much as possible, uh, in accordance with the different stage mandates. Player bench areas must be arranged to accommodate social distancing practices. So it is our our responsibility as coaches to maintain those three areas as well as make sure that we're following the protocol set forth in this. The parents' responsibility, we talked earlier about signing the acknowledgement of the back-to-play form uh, in stage two, first two weeks while we're back, off the target dates of June 1st to uh, June 15th. Parents must drop off their players and remain in their car. Parents need to stay on site until that they can confirm that their player has been admitted to training based off the temperature check, because nobody with a temperature above 100 degrees is going to be allowed to train. During stage three, parents may attend the training and games, but they must adhere to the social distancing standards of six to 10 feet from other parties, as well as six to 10 feet off of the training field. Obviously, during training, our keep a safe policy is still in effect that parents are not on the field, they are outside the field. Parents should not send players to training if they are showing any signs of illness. So that is the parent's responsibility, maintaining social distancing, staying in the cars, not bringing their players out to training if they have any sign of illness, and making sure that their players are admitted based off of the temperature check. Now on to player responsibilities. Chad had mentioned earlier the club is going to provide an individual player, for individual penny for each player. Uh, we are strongly recommending that players wear a mask before and after training. Players may train in the mask. We are discouraging it based on best information. Chad had spoke, spoke about earlier uh, during the training, but you are allowed to wear it if that is what you're comfortable with. Players must complete the pre-training checklist, and this is sort of the qualitative data to see how the player is feeling. Can you speak real quick to that soccer pulse for somebody that might not be familiar with it, Chad? Um, yeah, the soccer pulse is a uh, uh, interactive player um, uh, performance app. Um, it's, it's used, we've used it in the past for a lot of our national teams to be tracking player fatigue, player fitness, player, um, soreness, injuries, that sort of thing. And it's, it's a platform where, where players can, can use sliders on the app to, to indicate how, how they're feeling. 
and then it it returns that data to the coach, right? So Soccer Pulse has, has done a great job in modifying it to be specific for the coronavirus and, and the situation around it where, you know, it asks, like I said earlier, it asks a series of questions that are consistent with the same questions that healthcare providers have to answer. You know, do you have a sore throat? You know, do you have a headache? Um, and so we want players to, to be consciously going through this before they step on the field to make sure they're feeling well and, 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 you know, it, it will uh, give them a, a green light, so to say. Um, if anything comes up as red, then they, they shouldn't train or they shouldn't be allowed in the training. We're doing that for the, the 13 and, and older crowd um, because we feel that the, uh, the older players have the responsibility to kind of, you know, manage their own, their own uh, wellness. Um, certainly parents can have access to it as well. For the younger group, um, 12 and below, we're going to have a similar checklist, but it'll be on TeamSnap. It's not going to be interactive. It'll be more the parent's responsibility just to kind of run through that checklist with their player before they send them out into the field. And is, is it, and this is a question for me here personally, is it as simple as a one red indicates that that is a training session that your player needs to be missing? Because one of the signs, is that something that the coach uh, is following up or he lets the players onto the field, or is this something that the players and the parents, when they see that they basically essentially did not pass with all greens, that this is a session that they need to be avoiding for the day? Um, yeah, it's that simple. I mean, I think one part of it is to go through and just make sure a player says, yeah, I'm feeling up to this. You know, this is not, you know, three months ago, players said they weren't feeling well, you know, a parent might say, ah, you know, you can, you can, you can deal with it today, you know, tough it out, go to, go to training, you're okay. But now we do not want any player on the field where um, they're not feeling right, whether it's it's just a little bit of a, a tickle in the throat or um, you know a stuffy nose. It doesn't mean somebody has coronavirus, but we want to keep keep players out of our training environment with that. You know, we'd prefer them to go home and rest and 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 see if they recover. Um, I think I think the goal of it's twofold, right? So it's a reflective piece for the player to have to be thinking about all these things, but it also gives feedback to the coach. So. You know, if a coach sees that a player's got got a red, you know, the coach is um, not only in, in, in enabled but required to send that player home. And that goes back to one of the pieces you mentioned earlier is when, when parents drop players off for training, we, we want them to stick around until they see that their player's actually admitted to training. Um, so there's going to be, a, like I said, kind of a checkpoint where they get their temperature screened. And if a player does have a fever – turn around and, and go home. And that's um, not only for their health, but for the, the health and, and safety of all the players that they can come in contact with during that session. Right. It's a, it's a double sort of check here. You've got the qualitative data uh, from the soccer polls based on the questionnaires that health officials fill out when they go into their job sites. Uh, and then you also have the quantitative data with the temperature check. So we have sort of a double check here um, for the players and for the coaches uh, in order to make sure that we're maintaining um, appropriate measures for players that are out on the field with us. Uh, the last two pieces of player responsibility are essentially personal equipment. They need to bring their own ball and they're not to handle any equipment that is not theirs. They shouldn't be picking up other people's bags or the coaches cones. You know, they have their own individual penny that they need to keep track of. Um, and then also they're responsible for having their own hand sanitizer and their own mask before and after training. Yeah, at the end of the document, there's kind of a player checklist for pregame or, or pre-session checklist where, you know, it's 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 kind of a new checklist than what players have been going through for years. You know, do you have your boots, do you have your shin guards, do you have your water, right? 
So this adds in some of these, these new pieces as well. Yep. Uh, the general health guidelines are more of what we've been talking about above. Uh, we also point out that there's going to be no shaking of hands, high, fi high fives, team huddles where you put your arms around the team. There's not going to be any water stations. Spitting will not be permitted. Uh, this might be something that you haven't thought about before. Um, sometimes that happens on the soccer field during the run of play, but essentially that is a, that is a hard no going forward. Um, I know you had mentioned in our training that, you know, different professional leagues across the country or across the world are even going as far as having an automatic yellow if there's a spitting incident on the field. And we're not talking about at another player, just generally speaking, not to be spitting on the field. Yeah, I mean, in these conditions, spitting is probably one of the one of the best ways to be spreading spreading diseases, and and uh, and obviously that's just going to have to be a hard no. Now we're jumping into the protocols for reporting and the communication of COVID nineteen exposure. So staff members, including coaches, are required to report if they test positive for COVID nineteen, are suspected of being positive for COVID nineteen, or have been directly exposed to someone who has tested positive for COVID nineteen. Any player that has tested positive for COVID-19 or suspected of being positive or who has been directly exposed to someone who has tested positive is required to report this to the Independence Head Athletic Trainer, Kendall D'India. Uh, her contact information will be in this form. It is also on our website. It'll be easy to find. So that's two uh, peace of minds and, and proper protocol for the staff as well as for the membership so that we can uh, kind of go forward with the rest of this protocol for reporting. When COVID is reported, all staff and players who came in contact with that player and person and or person will be notified. Due to privacy issues, the identity of the person will remain anonymous. Once a person is notified that an individual has tested positive that has been in close proximity with that staff member or player, those staff members and players must adhere to the following protocol. They must notify their primary physician. So again, this is if someone tests positive, they have to report it. Once it's reported, then the club, I'm not sure exactly how the, the protocol for this works, but the club then reaches out to all parties that had, were in some sort of proximity to the person that had tested positive or been in exposure to somebody that had tested positive or is suspected of having tested positive. So you will be notified that you need to notify your primary physician. Staff members and players should begin in-home isolation for a 14-day 14 14 period. Uh, staff members and players are allowed to discontinue the home isolation if they undergo testing and the test result for COVID-19 is negative. So that's kind of a lot there, Chad. I don't know if you want to succinctly pull that together for me. Yeah. Um, well, I guess, I guess the, the, the pieces that you mentioned that I'd like to highlight are one, uh, the protocol is exactly the same for staff and players and, and anybody else who would come in contact with, with everyone. Um, this is a big part of why we want to keep, groups small and isolated and not have players crossing over and going into different training groups because in the event that there is a positive, um, we want to make sure that we can isolate who that players come in contact with. Um, we're, 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 we're funneling all player reporting, um, through, uh, Kendall, who is, who is the head athletic trainer for Charlotte independence and an employee of Novon health. She's a, she's a, she's a licensed athletic trainer. Um, and that will help kind of make sure we're compliant with all HIPAA laws and everything. Obviously we want to protect people's privacies, but we also have obligations to notify, um, anyone who's come in contact with them. Um, when, when we do notify people, we will be giving them, you know, here's what you should be doing. 
you know, um, a big part of that is, is talking to your own physician, but we'll, we'll be giving them kind of, uh, step-by-step here's, here's, here's what needs to happen. Um, and obviously, as you said, if anyone's been in close contact with, with someone who's been reported as positive, um, you know, we, we need them, whether it's a coach, a player, uh, to, to begin their 14 days home isolation, just to make sure that we're not spreading it further. Um, and then I think the next part, maybe what you didn't get into is there's, um, some guidelines of when a player can return. Um, as you mentioned, if they do get a, a test for COVID and it, it comes back as a negative result, then they can, they can come back at that point. But there's, there's other guidelines because I know the testing isn't, you know, immediately available for everybody, especially as a follow-up. Right. So essentially, if somebody tests positive, they notify the club, whether they're a member or staff member. Uh, and then the club, following HIPAA, privacy, notifies anyone that came in contact with that person. Anyone that came in contact with that person uh, then must notify their physician, and then they begin in-home isolation. So if you came into contact, Chad, with somebody that had tested positive for COVID, you would have a 14-day home isolation period, and you cannot discontinue that until either it has been completed or you get a, a negative, excuse me, a negative test result for COVID-19. Correct. Mm -hmm. And then the same thing or a similar item for somebody that did test positive: um, a minimum of seven days must pass since the initial onset of the symptoms. 72 hours must pass without symptoms, without the aid of fever-reducing medications and the staff member or player must attain a negative COVID-19 test result. So I believe that is all three of those things must happen if you are the person that tested positive for a COVID-19. Correct. Okay. Uh, and then I just want to highlight the fever, reduc fever reducing medications. Um, back to the training protocol where we're taking the temperatures prior to practice, you know, the expectation is that your player is not using fever reducing medications to reduce the temperature below 100 degrees, correct? Yes, that's correct. All right, parents and spectators, uh, parents are not permitted to be on the field or around the field during stage two. They must stay in their cars. They need to stay at the training site until they can confirm that their player has been admitted to training. Again, like we said earlier, this is a bit repetitive, but we wanna make sure that we see it and break it up into as many different ways as possible so everybody can be on the same page and it's very clear. Uh, in stage three, parents and spectators are allowed to attend training, but they must adhere to the social distancing protocols. All parents and spectators attending training and matches during stage three and stage four must maintain minimum distance of six feet off the field touchline, as well as the social distancing protocols. Uh, if parents or players or spectators are repe repeatedly disregarding social distancing standards or field spacing guidelines, they will be required to leave the field uh, and or leave the premise. And then lastly, it's uh, it's the timeline. I don't know if you want to highlight anything here. You can probably see it on my screen. Um, yeah, I mean, the timeline kind of takes us through the whole summer. It's, you know, as you said, it's it's based on target dates. Um, we're looking at stage one beginning, I'm sorry, stage two beginning on June 1st. Um, the the WPSL and ETA is, is set to begin on June 10th. Um, we have scheduled as part of this mini season, we have a, a, our Novant Children's Trust Tournament, which was scheduled originally for early May and has gotten postponed and moved. Uh, we are looking to hold it in, a, in an altered form for our teams. We want to we create a competitive, fun weekend for our teams to play in a, in a bit of a, 
tournament to, to end their, their uh, shortened summer season. So um, for teams 12 and below, that'll be the weekend of June 27th and 28th. And, and we put into place all of the same practices that we kind of talked through um, into the tournament plan. And for the older players, we're actually going to hold that July 11th and 12th. Um, we've moved our, our, our boys and girls college ID camps to July 13th and 14th. The main reason for that, well, I guess there's probably two reasons. Um, one, the NCAA has instituted a, a temporary blackout period where they're not allowed to have contact with players. Um, and they've extended that to July 1st. So these events were originally scheduled for mid June. And, and obviously there's no point in having ID camps when we're in a blackout period. Also, the, when they were originally scheduled, our players would have just been getting into back into contact. And we really don't want, we don't think it's conducive for our players to be playing in front of a coach when they've, you know, only been playing actual uh, match situations for a day or two. So um, everybody who signed up for that will, will be notified of, of the changes. Um, hopefully everybody can still attend. We will be offering refunds if the date no longer becomes tenable for everybody. Um, but at the same time, there's a huge amount of interest from from players and coaches because coaches uh, miss a big chunk of recruiting and, and they're in, itching to get back on the field just as quickly as we are. Um, and then the rest of it, I mean, everybody can have a look at it, just kind of takes takes us through the plans for the for the rest of the summer with some events and when we'll be starting up for the fall season. Um, the one thing I'd like to point out is this is all conditional upon the conditions that exist outside the soccer field. So um, we, we feel like we're tracking, tracking well, everything that's coming back from the state. Uh, we feel like our plans are, are right on track. Um, same thing from the information we've just been got, been getting in the last couple of days from the soccer organizations we belong to. But if things change, then, then that whole schedule may get altered. And it's just something we're going to have to be flexible with. All right. And then, like I had said earlier, and I think we've answered a lot of these, uh, hopefully we have, but, you know, as you have done many hours of training with the staff and coaches, uh, as well as the committee hours to put this thing together, have there been any sort of common threads, questions that have popped up, anything that you want to answer just about this, generally speaking, or, you know, feel free to be specific as well. Um, I mean, I think, I think the general feeling is, there's a lot to do and, and this is going to be different, right? I think the buy-in from the staff already has been exceptional. I think everybody knows we're going to have to be, be monitoring and reevaluating and, and probably some of the details in this final change as we go, because we're going to find something works better than something else. Um, but, you know, again, our number one goal is the health and safety of, of not just our players, but our families and our community. And, and number two, it's to try and, um, get back to, to playing soccer, which is why we're here and, and, and what all of our, our, our families love. Um, I'm looking at the, the sheet in front of me, Barry, and I think one thing, I think you mentioned it real briefly, but we haven't talked about is when we do the scheduling for training sessions, not only are we kind of limiting them in time, um, and there's a lot of scientific reasons for that because we're kind of trying to ease players back into the full athletic exertion and 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 try not to put them in a situation where they're they're compromising their immune system as they kind of get reacclimated to playing. But um, also, is there's going to be a 15 minute gap between training sessions, right? So normally, one session ends at 6:30 and the next session starts at 6:30, right? Um, in in this new model, there's a 15 minute gap, 
And that is so that we limit the amount of player crossover as players are leaving the field and players are coming to the field. So we've talked to every coach about making sure their, their training session ends on time and that they, they don't spend another 10 minutes talking to the team, that they get their team off the field. Um, hopefully we can get players off the field within five minutes or so from the end of training. And we're, we're asking players not to go to the field any more than 10 minutes ahead of, ahead of time. You know, I know some teams kind of say you need to be here 15 minutes early to start warming up and that sort of thing. And under normal circumstances, that's, those are good habits to get into. But now we're asking players, don't even come out of your car until within 10 minutes of the session. And, and, and more practically, until the fields are empty. Because we don't want to have 100 kids crossing over, coming and going at the same time and, and creating those, those conditions that we're working so hard on the field to prevent. Yeah. Well, Chad, I, I really appreciate the time. Um, I know that we spent a good, good, probably 30 minutes here on this. This will be going out tonight. This uh, podcast will get released probably tomorrow, Thursday, May 21st. Uh, all coaches, all directors, all staff have, have been educated on this. So families and parents can feel free to reach out to their coach first uh, and they should be able to provide them some more information and of course, we as directors uh, and the rest of the staff are also happy to answer questions on this. So reach out to your coach first, but feel free to reach out to the club as well, and we'll, we'll find a way to make sure everybody's on the same page. Yeah, thanks, Barry. Um, I guess I'll just, I'll just close by saying I can't wait to see everybody out, out on the field. We've spent so many times, so much time looking at everybody over Zoom meetings. It'll be nice to see people yeah, running around and kicking the soccer ball again. Great. Thanks, Chad.